My name's Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I'm the pastor of community groups and equipping. And so I spend a lot of my time working at Central Campus and coordinating some of the things that we do across all three campuses. But today I get the pleasure to proclaim some good news about Jesus to you. So if you brought your Bible, uh, it would be a good time to flip open to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. And I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 5 after I give some beginning thoughts. You know, the other day I was, uh, my wife gave me a, a sort of a honeydew item to install a humidifier in our house. And so I was sort of thinking about this and you know, how, our, how our house works and had some questions. And so I, I looked up, I, actually I used uh, Google, you might have heard of it, to look up some information about a humidifier and some specific questions. And so I typed them in and the first thing that popped up was actually uh, the manufacturer's website. So I clicked on it, went. And it was a, a wonderful and helpful page called the FAQ. You guys heard of this? I'm sure you have. Frequently asked questions. What had happened there is that the creator of this device was aware of and anticipated the most common concerns, questions, uh, troubleshooting problems that the, uh, the consumer would end up having. And so in anticipation of that, they actually put together some responses and put it on their website. Now... This passage is wonderful because it is in so many ways the, the frequently asked question section of our souls. God the creator, like the maker of that you know, silly humidifier, understands us. He has anticipated the most common troubles, experiences, struggles, stresses, and he knows what our questions will be. And so this passage is the FAQ for us of what it means to be people who are living in a time when, when, when our lives are characterized by disappointment and struggle and strain and strife. This is a word in season to us for so many reasons. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5 say this. Comfort, comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's first pray together. Heavenly Father, help us hear and understand. Help us see and perceive. Make our hearts responsive, our ears open, our vision focused. Make us a people who turn to you to be healed, comforted, saved. Teach us to look to you. Teach us today to listen to you. Help us to know how to embrace 
Advent, how to wait for you, how to look back at the first appearance of your glory in the person of Jesus, and how to look forward in eager expectation and in constant (laughs) missed expectations to your next coming. Teach us what it means to be a people in exile, to wait expectantly, hopefully, and most of all, to long for the coming of your Son, to long for you. Amen. Now, it would be helpful here, as we read this book, this book of prophecy, um, the book of Isaiah, to remember sort of where we're at in the story. Um, it's hard to sort of flip open to the middle of a novel and think you know what's going on. It's, it's also difficult with the Bible. So, um, here we are in Isaiah 40, and Isaiah is writing to a people in exile. Uh, because of their sin, God has disciplined his people, Israel, uh, by the hand of uh, an enemy nation called Babylon. And this was sort of a characteristic warfare and political strategy in the day, was that when you conquered a people, you would carry off especially uh, their most influential people into exile. Uh, You might leave some people there, but for the most part, you brought away especially the most influential people and the most, uh, a lot of their people into another land, uh, knowing that in doing so, you would sort of, you would sort of totally conquer them. Um, And so they were taken, taken from their homes taken from family farms, from their historic lands, uh, the places where their grandparents and great-grandparents and ancestors, they didn't even know their names, had been raised and died and lived their lives. They were taken away from the temple where God's presence dwelled. But God had promised them that their exile, uh, first of all, that it came at the Lord's hand. It was his doing. And secondly, that it would be temporary. They would not be in enemy Babylon forever. It was a temporary uh, discipline on the nation of Israel, and it served a purpose. And he even told them how long it would be. He said, 70 years, you're going to be away, um, and then you'll come back. But 70 years, 70 years away from home. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the inner turmoil and sort of the fading memories as, as one by one, the last people who had actually seen God's presence in the temple slowly were lost. By the end of 70 years, surely all of them would have been gone. There would have been hardly anyone left who could tell you what, it, what was it like. You'd be left with sort of second and third hand memories of what it meant to worship God in the temple and to, and to feel his presence and to see him. Can you imagine the painful memories of, of people being carried off. Can you imagine the, the sense of cultural and national dislocation as everything familiar for, to you is taken away? Suffering, whether self-inflicted or not, has a way of jumping us to the bottom of our hearts and getting to the deepest, hardest-to-answer questions about who we are and who God is. And that's no different. And it's, it's especially true with sort of chronic suffering. Acute suffering can do this too, but repeated and over time, these questions, just they become the background noise to your experience of faith. Is he there? Does he care? Is he, is he really with us? The good news is that we have Isaiah 40. And, and, and in this case, God comes to his people and he anticipates these questions that he knew would bubble up and boil over 
as they spent 70 years away from his presence in Israel. Uh, now, as followers of Jesus, we might say, well, I can't exactly uh, resonate with those feelings of sort of national dislocation, especially, um, because as believers, you're not composed of sort of people of one nation. But no doubt we can, we can identify with their sense of sort of spiritual homelessness. Uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, uh, addresses his first letter, and he, said, he calls uh, the church that he's writing to elect exiles. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about a nationality of being exiled. He's talking about something different. Paul says in the, in the letter to the Philippians that we preached to just not too long ago, he said, our citizenship is in heaven. We are sojourners. We too, we are dislocated from our true and deepest reality, home with God in paradise forever, the end of all crying and pain, where he'll wipe every tear from our eyes and, and set all things back to rights. So, for believers in Jesus, these kind of disappointments also have become normative. Uh, there is a certain sense in which we too are in exile. I mean, with the hope that we have waiting for us, how could we not feel a little bit of disappointment at our present reality? But Isaiah 40 is written to us for the moments, the days, the seasons, the years maybe, where that sense of dislocation is especially painful. Maybe you're there today. Maybe as a campus especially, you're, you're feeling some of those things. I, I want us to hear what Isaiah 40 has to say to us, because this is a word in season. When will this end? In, in the meantime, the questions. Our hearts are like theirs, and the good news of Isaiah 40 is good news for us today too. So, two big questions. There are so many more, but I'll, I'm going to focus on two that this passage is intended to answer for the exiles and for us today as we work through a world full of well, what the world is full of. So, the first one we see in verses 1 and 2 says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Certainly, uh, the first and most pressing question that the Israelites would have had in their exile was this. Is God still with us? Is, is he still ours? Are, are we still his? In this case, God is so eager to answer that question that he can't even form a full and grammatically correct sentence. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Isaiah is probably one of the best writers, technically, in the entire Old Testament. And so he did not make a mistake when he wrote, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. What? It's sort of a silly sentence. God can't help himself. Comfort, comfort. And when we read this, we, the, these must be the two most precious pronouns in the entire Old Testament. My people, says your God. That might not sound that striking, but consider uh, the, the commissioning of Isaiah the prophet that we read about in Isaiah 6. It's sort of this kind of famous passage. Um, God says, who will go for us? Who should we send? And Isaiah says, I'll do it, I'll do it. And he says, great, you're going to go. And he says, go to this people. Oh, this people. Oof. Or, it, it reminds me again of, of the story of uh, the prodigal son 
when the, the older son leaves the party, he won't go into the party, and the father comes out and he says, come on, we got your son, my son is back, we got a party, your brother is back. And he says, this son of yours, oof, perhaps parents in your frustration uh, with one of your children, you've looked to your spouse and said, go, go deal with your son. Oof. Uh, I've been there. I've been there. That is not what this says. No, no, no. Sometimes I look at my little sons and I say, that's my Jackie. That's my Silas. That's my boy. I look at my wife. That's my Katie. You ever do that? And you're probably thinking, what a goofy smile you have on your face. (laughs) And if that's how me, sort of a broken father, looks at my children, what do you think the goofy smile is that God gets on his face when he thinks of you? My people. If, If that's true of the nation of Israel so many years ago, how much truer is it of us who have been united to Jesus, the one true and faithful Israelite. So do you ever wonder, on days when things just don't seem to go your way, the weekend rest that you had in mind seems to evaporate as problems and conflict arises, when your plans for your kids and their future don't seem to be working out the way that you had planned, Your one shot at meaning and significance seem to be slipping through your fingers. Whether maybe, finally, God has just sort of washed his hands of you. Whether his perpetual frown has turned into a scowl. Isaiah 40 wants to remind you of his goofy smile that comes on his face when he looks at you. Comfort, comfort. My Sheldon. My Mark. My Chris. Perhaps it stings the most when our suffering seems to be self-inflicted. It's, it's, it's easy for us, and if you're anything like me, you're prone to think that God is willing to visit us and join us in our suffering so long as we have been completely innocent victims of it. Just sort of good people in the wrong place at the wrong time. Then he will sympathize with me. But let me remind you why the Israelites were in exile. It was because of their sin. It was because of God's repeated warnings on their ears bounced off like throwing a rock at the side of a barn. It is not the healthy that need a physician. It's us. Today's passage is for people like you and me who need saving, not because we were in the wrong place at the wrong time, but because of our own inadequacies and mistakes. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. How do we make it through 70 years of exile? 
with that? How, how will you make it through the next year, the next, who knows what, the next week? Is God with us? Yes. Yes, my people, my God, my God, your God. And in fact, it's, it's so funny because you read this and he says, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem? They're in Babylon. In fact, you read this and you almost think, God, are you insensitive? I mean, why would you call us Jerusalem? We're, you've sort of put your finger on the most painful part of our experience, which is that we can't go to Jerusalem. We can't go to Jerusalem. We can't go to the temple. We can't be with you. Uh, did you forget that? No. God, he, he looks at them and he is so confident about the coming salvation that he's going to bring, that I, he is going to bring them back, that he says, you know what? I'm just going to call you Jerusalem because in my mind, we're basically already back together. I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, a young couple, they've, they're just gotten engaged and they're sort of walking together and, and, the, and the, the man turns to the woman and says, ah, love you, wife. They're not, not yet. They're not married yet, but just can't help himself. Uh, already he's thinking, ah, this is, my, this is my woman, this is my wife. I love, you know, this, that's sort of the idea here. Already God is living in the reality of their salvation. It's as if it's already happened. Speak tenderly, or literally, speak to the heart of Jerusalem. Cry out to her. Her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned. She's received from the Lord's hand. The Lord's hand. God's comfort is this. God's comfort to us in the question is comfort. You are my people. I am your God. Your salvation is assured. My hands have been with you the whole time. Parkview, in, in such a time at the, as this, in our nation's, or sorry, in our, in our church's history, there's perhaps no more comforting word to us than this. Jesus will not give up on you. He will not give up on his people. His hand is with us. And I'm reminded of uh, the words of John Newton. Um, he said, all shall work together for good. Everything is needful that he sends. And nothing can be needful that he withholds. Wherever we find ourselves, this we need to remember. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. There's another big question that comes to mind for, for us for, for Israel, as they would go through their exile, these 70 years that they're away, away uh, from God's presence in the temple, away from uh, their native land, away from everything that they've known. And the second one we read about in verses 3 through 5, it says this, and in fact, it's, it's noteworthy to see that this is actually the only command that's given in the whole passage, and really the whole thing. Um, it says this, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. In the midst of exile, God knew they would, they would wonder and ask, is God still with us? But they would also ask, what should we do? What are we supposed to do here? 
here we are, we're in Babylon, we're, we're out, of, out of Jerusalem, what are we supposed to do? If God is with us, okay, that's great, we need to know, but what do we do? And so, what does it mean to prepare the way of the Lord? How do you obey this? Uh, those of you who are familiar with the Bible will say, oh, this is what John the Baptist, you know, this is John the Baptist verse. I know it, you know. But there's something that, that this meant for Israel immediately when they read it. It wasn't just wait 600 years for John the Baptist to show up. Uh, there's something for them to obey too, and for us too. What does it mean to make straight in the desert a highway for our God? Should we buy bulldozers? No, uh, there's something else here. Uh, we have to sort of enter the mindset of a traveler in the 8th century BC to understand it. See, if you're in the wilderness, uh, which much of the land was, and you wanted to get uh, from one place to the next, how do you do it? I came here today on 380. It's wonderful. There are no mountains on it. Uh, there are some hills, but they're not really that significant. And uh, no rough places, that would be very dangerous. They did not have that. Uh, and by the way, the trees and the mountains and the hills and the everything, it does not care that it happens to be sitting exactly between two cities. It just doesn't, okay? And if you're going to get somewhere, uh, well, you gotta, can't go over it, can't go under it, you got to go around it. It's going to take you a lot longer. What does it mean to make straight? It doesn't mean sort of get out the level and make sure it's straight. What it means is that you would eliminate and, and every single obstacle that was in the way of the two places that you were traveling between. So, if, you know, we, we have records of the ways that they would make roads, what to us would seem like barely a road, but to them, a road. Uh, and it involved an incredible amount of work to move stones, huge stones. I mean, you look at the pyramids, you go, how did they possibly do that? It was excruciating work, and they would move things out of the way, and that was the main thing, was to get things out of the way. But the final goal was that you would, you would make the path of least resistance the path of travel. So that al it's almost like it would, be so, it would be obvious to someone who was just happy to be walking there that this is the way to get there. Um, so clearly, this is metaphorical language. God does not need highways. Uh, if he needed one, he could make one. Um, he doesn't care about the geography and the cartography of Israel or Babylon or whatever. He cares about his people's hearts. So what, is, what does this mean? It means that he wants his people to call his people to eliminate any and every obstacle to the Lord having full dominion over their lives. To make the paths of least resistance in your life, your habits, your routines, the, the paths that you normally trot on, right? To make those align with the paths of righteousness. In this case, we actually we get some extra insight uh, as to how to understand these words to God's people because, like I mentioned, we have the, the last prophet of the Old Testament, John the Baptist, happens to be, we happen to hear about him in Luke, but that's okay. And he would actually interpret the meaning of these words for the nation of Israel. And we read about that in Luke 3. It says this. All these people are coming out to be baptized by John. He says, He said, Therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. 
Because I say to you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, and listen up, because here's our question, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics should share with one who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized by him, and, and they said, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. And soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money uh, from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. We could spend a lot of time talking about all of this, but what does it mean to make straight for the way of the Lord? There's at least two things we can learn, both from Isaiah 40 and from the way that John sort of interprets it for us today. The first answer would be this, is that mechanical religiosity that doesn't actually touch your heart and that still stands on its own standing, on its own sense of righteousness, will do nothing to make straight the way of the Lord. He says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus would tell us, a tree is known by its fruit. Does, does your heart produce the fruits of righteousness that God wants? You may have heard the silly illustration of sort of taking some apples and stapling them onto a tree. It's, it's not an apple. It didn't become an apple tree. In the same point, uh, He's, he's sort of calling out their way that they stood on their sense of you know, national pride and, and everything that they sort of thought was good about them. And he says, no, what you need is hearts that are transformed. Demonstrate your love for God by obeying his commandments, he says. So the way of the Lord is prepared by cultivating a posture of heart that is committed at the deepest level to loving God. That's how you prepare the way of the Lord. That's how you get the obstacles in your heart, get the boulders in your heart out of the way for the Lord. Here he's come. He's coming. Here he comes. Get everything out of the way. Make it a nice, smooth travel for him, right? Uh, on the one hand, of course, it, does, it means that. Get everything out of the way that you can, you know? It means, it, means that, it, it means that when you disobey God and you come to sense it, you need to ask for forgiveness. And then you also need to take the step to say, Lord, why did, I, why did I want to disobey? Ugh. Give me a heart that hates that I did that, because obviously I don't hate it quite enough. Give me new affections. Uh, help, me, Lord, help me, Lord, to feel the way that you feel about that. Help me, help me now to feel the way that you feel about me, so that I, I'm never tempted again by that thing, to know that I have everything I need in you. On the other hand, it means fanning into flames sort of the embers that are present and already there of affection for Christ. This should be sort of our everyday conversation. It should be not at all weird for you to walk up to one of your fellow Parkview North Campus people and say, what are you enjoying about Christ? What are you loving about God lately? What are you learning? That should be fully unweird if this passage is understood. And so our second answer uh, has to do with this. What does it mean to make straight the way? Uh, like I mentioned, road making was sort of the task of making the path of least resistance correspond with the path of proper travel. So that when you saw a mountain, you go around it. Okay, how are we to understand that spiritually? I sort of referred to it before, but it's something like this. 
make the paths of least resistance in your life align with the paths of righteousness. The Israelites, we see, sort of tucking in for 70 years of of exile and and dislocation. How do you endure that faithfully? Sort of a one-time God experience will not carry you that far. Uh, You need a plan. You think. We spend, I, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to spend weeks and weeks thinking about planning, you know, my next vacation or thinking about my finances, get, get everything in order. I sit down and very intentionally think through, what should I do? What should I do here? There? There? You know? How should I do this? How should I spend my weekend? No one forces me to think about that. I'm just naturally, like, I would love to think about that. Um, we need the same thing in our spiritual lives. Make a plan. We need to sort of do an audit of our lives. And I think this especially is, was helpful to me as I was preparing this. Is always my task to think about how do I need to apply this to myself and not be a hypocrite. And uh, as COVID sort of and the pandemic stuff sort of started to kick in, it was, it was simple to just, I don't know about you, but the first thing I did was, okay, so if I'm going to work from home, I guess I'll just pop down at the kitchen table. You know, and, and just, just sort of, I, I, I didn't think it was going to be more than a couple of weeks, right? Uh, and so I just sort of, okay, I'll just sit there. Eventually, finally, you know, I was like, I guess I'll go in the office, or I guess I'll find, you know, a different place to work. But just to say, it's, it was so easy to just sort of fall into habits rather than intentionally sort of say, okay, well, let's think about what does a day look like. Uh, in the same way, we should be doing that with our spiritual lives. And I think, as, you know, for me, it was like, okay, I, I'm a creature of habit, and probably you are too. Where am I reading my Bible in the morning? Where am I going to have my time of prayer? Um, where, you know, I'm going to form these. You know, you walk through the woods, and you see the little ruts of, of dirt. No, right now you don't. Uh, but uh, that's where the deer have been running, Right? Every day they run there, and guess what? Because they've run there every day, they run there every day <laughs> uh, because they begin to sort of form these, these paths. For me, when I was sort of doing this and thinking through, okay, what is it? Um, the biggest factor for me was definitely technology. I know that if I get on my phone or my computer before I sit down to read my Bible, the Bible becomes incredibly boring. So I needed to change my path, and that meant putting my phone and my you know, computer charger outside of my normal path of walking from bedroom to kitchen to where I read my Bible. Um, that's sort of a silly example, but maybe it'll spark your imagination to just sort of think of what are the habits, what are sort of the hedges I put in my life so I form paths of righteousness. Um, and I hope that gives sort of helpful fodder for you as you talk with others and sort of they give you more examples too. Um, but let's make the path of recent least resistance the path of holiness. So, we conclude our passage like this. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So how do we do this? How do we endure? How do we persist during our time of exile? Of course, it's by, by pursuing holiness, like we just said, by preparing a way for the Lord, a highway in our hearts and in our lives and in our homes and in our churches, our church, that obliterates any obstructions and at the same time makes it, makes it easiest to walk in holiness, if that makes sense, the easiest path. So when we study prophecy, we often think of, we often think of the prophet looking out perhaps into the future and seeing things that are going to happen. That's sort of the case with this passage. We often think of it, um, the prophet doesn't always necessarily know when is each event happening. We think of it like m- looking at a mountain range. Uh, If you go out to the Rockies and you just look to the west, right? You go out to Colorado, you look west, what do you see? 
Oh, you might see a dozen mountains. You say, wow, there's a dozen mountains right there. No. There's a mountain about a mile away, and then there's a mountain about five miles away, and then there's a mountain about 20 miles away. Uh, they look like they're right next to each other. And so you say, look, I see them. And that in some sense, that's how prophecy can sort of happen. You know, Isaiah says, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. And he may not be aware that one of them is happening in 40 years, and the next one's happening in 600, and the next one we don't even know yet. And that's the case here. Sort of have the first level of fulfillment, which is that Israel is going to return from exile. Comfort, comfort, Jerusalem, right? You're coming back. That happened, you know, within his lifetime. Well, maybe not. But that happened very immediately. The second level of fulfillment was in John the Baptist, right? There's a reason we read in Luke 3, he comes, he quotes it, and we really see that John the Baptist is kind of the ultimate fulfillment of what he was talking about here. And his preparation for the glory of the Lord to be revealed, that is Jesus, the Son. And then finally, we have this third level of fulfillment. You read that second part of verse 5. All flesh shall see the glory of the Lord together. That hasn't happened yet. When it says all flesh, that's, it means it for real. At all, everyone, every person, everywhere, at all times, seeing the glory of Jesus as it really is and forever will be. And you know what's funny? Here we find ourselves in Advent. We sort of are looking both directions. Christ has come, and Christ is coming again. And here's where Isaiah 40 has landed us. In between, the glory of the Lord has been revealed. We have seen from his face, from, read Hebrews 1, right? The glory of the Lord has been revealed to us through Jesus, and yet not yet has all flesh seen it together. That, that wonderful and glorious and terrible day when the Lord comes and sets everything to rights, he will come and he will, he will fix it all. That is the exile that we feel, the exile that they felt then, and the exile that we feel now, and the, the things that we're wondering. Sometimes I'm just wondering, will we get through this year? Will we get through this week? Will we get through this decade? I don't know. Will I get through this life faithfully? I got just praise that's true. So too, we find ourselves in between, waiting, looking back and looking forward, hoping longing expectantly. We're here. Advent is this season of hopeful waiting, remembering the Lord's promises, remembering all that the Lord has done. A child will be born. His mission will begin. And one day, he will complete it. Salvation has been accomplished. And one day, our eyes will see salvation applied. Completely, completely this world will be transformed. So how do we endure? How do we endure? How can we face anything with these questions in our mind and on our lips by remembering that we belong to God? We are his people. He is our God. And by becoming a people prepared for that day, let's make straight the way of the Lord. The glory of the Lord has been revealed. The glory of the Lord will one day finally be revealed to everyone because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's rejoice in that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this word of comfort, this word of commissioning to build paths of righteousness in our lives in preparation for your coming. Lord, help us to be eager for it. 
Help us to be longingly waiting and expecting all that you will do. You are glorious. We adore you. You have given us eyes to see. You have given us ears to hear. We pray that we would hear. We would listen intently to you in your word this week. We would come to you for comfort. We would look nowhere else. Lord, all other sources of comfort are sinking sand, not reliable, but you are a bedrock of comfort. Do all this and more. Make us the people that we must be for your glory. Amen.